I invite you to take a moment to quiet yourselves before the Lord, because this sermon text is not going to be easy to hear. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 1 and 10 through 20 are um, a little bit difficult for us to hear. So I'd ask you to, uh, to listen for God's voice and, and take a moment now to, to um, put aside the concerns of the day or the issues of your, uh, of your heart to, to commit those to the Lord. And um, in a moment, I'll read our sermon text. The sermon text for this day is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, and verses 10 through 20. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord. I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams, and of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. 
But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, as we humble ourselves before this ancient prophecy, help us to hear from you, to put our faith in you, and to bring a sacrifice of worship, of praise, and of prayer that is worthy of your name. Speak to us each this day. And draw us close to you, we pray, in your name. Amen. God has no time for empty spirituality. God is not pleased when we offer lip service to him, or when we offer lip service to those who are suffering or in distress. It is easy to come to church or to sing praise to God. It is much harder to praise God through how we live outside these walls, beyond this particular hour of the week. It is easy, as we have grown accustomed to do, to offer thoughts and prayers when a tragedy strikes somewhere in our nation or in our world. It is much harder to live for righteousness and justice for the sake of people who are suffering or who are in danger. The human tendency, which I think is pretty common to most people, is to disconnect our spiritual lives from our tangible interpersonal lives. The human tendency is to pursue justice and salvation for ourselves on a spiritual level and perhaps for others on a spiritual level, but then to separate that from the needs of others for justice and salvation on a tangible level. So we pile up worship service after worship service. We express thoughts and prayers over and over and over again, and we feel good about doing so because we think we're being deeply spiritual through these actions, and perhaps we are. But God has had more than enough of thoughts and prayers. God has more than enough worship services. From where Isaiah sits, God takes no pleasure in these things. God considers these even to be meaningless, or even worse than that, to be detestable, an abomination, offensive, burdensome, evil, when they are offered by people whose hands are full of blood. He does. Well, surely that doesn't mean us. Surely our hands are not full of blood. Surely we are not responsible for the evil in the world. Surely God approves of our stances, our actions, our beliefs, our positions, our opinions. And maybe he does. But here's the thing. We don't get to decide what God is for and what God is against. 
we may have very well developed senses of what is right and what is wrong after 10 or 20 or 50 or 70 or 90 years of experience and reflection, but our greatest wisdom is foolishness to God. This is what scripture tells us. Our, our best ideas of what is good and right in the world still fall short of God's great truth. We cannot pigeonhole God. God is beyond the categories and divisions and groupings of this world. God is beyond the political identities and loyalties that we might hold. God's wisdom is higher than our wisdom. God's values are purer than our values. God's desires are holier than our desires. But God has made his desires known to us. God has revealed his values to us. God has shown us his wisdom. And it's not hard. It's not complicated. In fact, the revelation of God's desires in Scripture often take the form of very short sentences, very concise commands, as they do in this passage. If we want to know what is right in God's eyes, we have some very short sentences to ponder. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Short statements like this appear throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 and 13. What does the Lord ask of you? Fear the Lord your God. Walk in all his ways. Love him. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Observe the Lord's commands. Micah 6, verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Hosea 6, verse 6. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's something that Jesus quoted himself over in Matthew 9. In the New Testament, James chapter 2, verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. And in that same chapter, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, what's the greatest commandment? He came up with two that are very short and easy to remember. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not hard. It's not complicated. When Jesus began his ministry in Luke 4, he proclaimed the good news to the people in his hometown. And what was that good news? He quoted from the Old Testament. I came to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's not hard. God is always, always, always concerned for the people who are on the margins of society. For the people who are outcasts, for the overlooked, for the mistreated, for those who cannot provide for themselves. God is always on the side of the widow the orphan, 
the foreigner, the immigrant, the refugee, the neglected, the impoverished, the oppressed. God's desire is not for his people to seclude themselves from the world. God's desire is for his people to spend themselves on behalf of the hungry, to satisfy the needs of the oppressed. God's desire is for his people to turn away from self-centeredness and self-protection and to identify with all of the other people who need justice and encouragement and defense and support. That's what Jesus did when he walked this earth. He lived his life among the outcasts, the lepers, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the poor, the suffering. Yes, he rubbed shoulders with the Pharisees and the religious leaders too, but he spent himself on behalf of those who were in need. He saw that they had their deepest needs met, physical and spiritual. And Jesus called his followers to sell their possessions and give to the poor. He embodied mercy and righteousness and justice for all people by giving himself up and going willingly to die on the cross. And this is a good point of connection for us. We appreciate and honor and revere and worship and celebrate the the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. But the death of Jesus on the cross was not simply a spiritual activity. We tend to internalize the death of Jesus on the cross. Why did Jesus die? He died to take away our sins. And that's true. Praise be to God. But the death of Jesus was also a physical model for his followers to show them just how far they should go for the sake of others, for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of justice. Jesus did not offer himself as a meaningless offering to God. On the cross, Jesus spread his hands out and his hands were covered with his own blood. Jesus offered prayers in that moment, but they were not meaningless prayers as Isaiah warned against. They were prayers even for the forgiveness of those who were doing the act of crucifixion against him. It is through the death of Jesus, that we are washed and made clean, as Isaiah prophesied. It is through the death of Jesus that our sins, though they are as scarlet, will be made white as snow. It is through the death of Jesus that we are given the example of how we should live and worship and pray and give and sacrifice. Jesus' life and death perfectly and completely embodied God's righteousness and justice in the world. Those who wish to follow Jesus must also be actively involved in embodying God's righteousness and justice in this world. This is a result of the wisdom of God. We've been thinking about God's wisdom for the past several weeks. God, in his divine wisdom, has gathered us into a community of people that form the body of Christ. And we, as a community of faith, are called to carry on the work of Jesus in his physical absence. 
I was made aware this week of a poem written by Teresa of Avila, a 16th century Spanish mystic Christian. Uh, she is believed to be the author of this poem. Um, not entirely sure, but nobody else is jumping up to say it's theirs. So they think it's hers, probably. But here's, here's what she wrote. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on the earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body now on earth, but yours. God is tired of empty thoughts and prayers. God is tired of meaningless offerings. God takes no pleasure in empty sacrifices. When we ignore the needs of the outcast or the neglected or the stranger or the oppressed, the orphan, the widow, when we ignore mercy and justice, when we refuse to change so that others might live, we bring their blood on our hands. But the good news is that we can wash and make ourselves clean. The good news is that we can partner with God in God's desire for justice and mercy. The good news is that we can choose. We can choose to be willing and obedient. Or we can choose to resist and rebel. We can choose to embody God's righteousness and justice. Or we can choose to keep piling up meaningless offerings. We can choose to adopt the values and principles of God, or we can choose to believe that God already agrees with our opinions. When news stories capture our attention and inflame our emotions, as they should and as they will, we can choose to see things as God sees them. Or we can choose to adopt our favorite narrative of the current political landscape and interpret events through those lenses. We can choose to stop doing wrong and learn to do right. Or we can choose to keep doing what makes us feel good about ourselves. It's good news because we can choose. It's good news because God wants to partner with us to bring about his justice and mercy in this world. But it is hard news. The question for you is very simple. It's not hard. It's not complicated. What will you do this week to embody the justice and mercy of God, especially on behalf of those who are on the margins of society?
Let's pray together. God, forgive us. For how we have made this about ourselves. Forgive us for the times when we have known what to do and have not wanted to do it. Forgive us for not spending ourselves on behalf of the, of the needy. Help us to live into the image of Jesus who fulfills and perfects and completes this prophecy from Isaiah among all the others. Help us to live in his example and to die in his example so that those who might not have a chance to live might actually live both spiritually and physically. Help us to know that we are the body of Christ, the hands, the feet, the eyes that give compassion to this world, that see the world as you see them. There is no body of Christ on this world but us. Help us to live accordingly. And give us grace that we might live as your people, no matter what comes, no matter what today holds or tomorrow or this week or this year holds. Help us to be true to your name and to who you are. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen.